So it's an absolute joy to be joined by my cousin, Johnny Hughes, who's also the lead pastor of a church in Nottingham, Trinity, Nottingham. Um, so, mate, how are you doing? Oh, Pete. Um, <laughs> how long have you got? <laughs> seven minutes or 70. Well, we, we've just been discussing, haven't we? But this is, I would say, I'm doing fine. And yet this has been just the hardest time. <laughs> Yeah. I remember um, really up and down some some good days for sure, some hope and excitement and encouragement, what God's doing and just some joy, time with the family and everything else and just really, really difficult days. Yeah. Emotionally very, I would say now, just pretty depleted. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... And just aware, just aware that that's not just me. That's where lots of people yeah. are at. People need to hear that stuff, don't they? Because it's like when you talk to others and you realize, gosh, I'm not alone. It's not just me who feels like there's days where I'm drowning and trying to fight to, to hold on to hope. I mentioned I want to ask you two questions, same two questions we've been asking lots of our friends and family and leaders that we admire. Mm-hmm. First question is based in Matthew 16. Jesus says the Pharisees, you can look at the sky and forecast the weather, but why can't you read the signs of the times? So we're asking friends, like, where do you see the spirit of God right now? Because we want to trade any of our plans to jump on board what we see the Father doing. And the second question, which is a more personal one, of of like, how how are you doing? But like, what are you doing just sort of like to build and nurture faith in this season? What are you learning about yourself and life in the kingdom of God? Mm -hmm. First question, where where do you see God at work in this Mm. crisis? Well, it's so interesting because I feel like if you'd have asked me this question about three months ago or whenever this, I mean, I remember calling you and just spouting off what I thought at the time were just words of wisdom. And I was joking with you when you asked me to do this, but you know, back then I had lots of words of wisdom and now I just have words of woe and uh, far fewer of them as well. I mean, I felt like I had just like uh, so much, I felt God was saying and everything else, much of it, I think others were saying and seeing and, um, but I do think there's been a stripping back and uh, maybe that's partly my own personal journey, which I'll, I'll share just in a minute. But um, yeah, I, I think, I think the things which have persisted, which maybe haven't been able to shake are the idea that, um, that I think in this, in the midst of what God's doing at the moment, certainly in the church, I think this is a moment where he's um, turning us inside out, but actually fundamentally what I see him doing is, is wanting to rearrange the church and turn it upside down. I think this is a moment <clears throat> where I see just a, a real shift in terms of how how and what we're pursuing as the church and an opportunity for us to think afresh and allow the Spirit of God to rearrange within us um, what or rather who we're pursuing. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I think that works in a lot of ways. I think it has to do with leadership and I think it has to do with uh, certainly, but I think really it's about the posture of our hearts. And mm-hmm. I was, um, I really do feel like this is a time where the, the spirit of God is trying to arm or to, it's not a time rather to arm the few with celebrity. Yeah. Um, but what the spirit of God wants to do in this time is to arm the many with compassion Wow. So it's, this isn't about, I, th- I think this is not a moment uh, to, f- for people to try and accrue power. Yeah. Or, um, but actually, this is a moment for us to 
actually be asking the spirit of God to fill us with compassion because this is, I think there is a movement of compassion that God wants to bring about. Yeah. Um, and it isn't about people um, standing on soapboxes, whether digital or physical ones, <laughs> and spouting off words. It's about weeping, not words. It's about sharing the suffering that we're seeing already and that we're going to see in greater measure. And I just, you know, you think about Paul, the Apostle Paul saying, you know, what a privilege it was to share in the sufferings of Christ. And I feel like we as the church in this next season, uh, where we're being faithful to the gospel, I think it will be it will be a lot of that. And I, I just wonder if the the water of the spirit in the days to come is the is the tears of the saints over the mm. brokenness of the world in us. I mean, I, I feel so. But maybe moving on to the second question, <laughs> we'll get to this in a minute. Just feel so broken. Just feel so limited, and um, you know, at the end of myself and. The only other thought, just so there's that that whole thing about the church being turned upside down, and I think that's um, something that God's doing. But the, the scripture that's been valuable to me in the last, even the last week or so, actually, Pete, has been Ezra chapter three, and I won't uh, share too much on this because there's a there's a 15 minute version, there's probably a 35 minute version. I'll give you the 30 second version. But essentially the context of, of Ezra and Nehemiah is that there's devastation and there's been exile and there's a group of people, a remnant that returned to the, the city of Jerusalem. And around them, they see devastation. You sort of imagine them returning to Jerusalem and, and standing where the temple used to be and seeing even the stones maybe strewn across the floor that were the old temple mm. and seeing the walls of Jerusalem broken down. And they're standing at, be at the beginning of this rebuilding moment. What they recognize in that moment is that the only hope for the prospering of the city is a people of the presence of God in the midst wow. of the city. Yeah. And so the first act that they together, that they, uh, that the first thing that they do before they've planned, before there's any strategy, before they've even laid the foundation stone of the temple or even decided to try and rebuild the walls, they begin from the inside and work their way out. They begin by erecting an altar wow. and they build an altar in the midst of the city. And I just think at this moment, this is a time for us to build altars in the midst of devastation. Yeah. And, you know, many people are going to be saying we need to do this and that and the other. And, I, and, and yes, we do probably in due course. But and this comes back to our conversation uh, earlier, Pete, the time the, the the moment that we are in right now, I think, for the church is a moment to build altars, yeah. not to build platforms uh, or, or to seek to be uh, strategic or to grab land or power this is a moment to build altars and um there's lots of ways we can do that but i think it begins with the altar of our hearts doesn't it and wow. posturing ourselves in surrender and in devotion and humility and brokenness and saying lord you know you're our only hope <laughs> wow so, i mean i think there's a lot in what you've said around the theme of power yeah. of like the desire to grab more power and even in a lot of the conversations around race you know supremacy and and how power's been misused yeah. and the way of jesus being so countercultural, which is about emptying of power and i think a lot of leaders are struggling right now because they realize they're losing power and they're wanting to snatch and grab and i've lost control but what if god was present in that that this is a moment of self-emptying yeah. And in the self-emptying, I, I do think that's where compassion is birthed. 
because we do begin to suffer with those around us. I think I think that's entirely right. In terms of your context, then leading people into that, what 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 does that look like to you know practically you know encourage people to be building altars right now? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, I think it's helping people. I mean, we, we've all had to do that, haven't we? And and you guys are further ahead in that than we are at Trinity. But you know, I think it's recognizing that um, there's a rebalancing going on, isn't there? So where where is the center of sort of um gravity in terms of our experience of life and faith was was largely the gathered environment it's recognizing that we have to build altars in our homes yeah and so it's some of its practical christianity it's about yeah. hey, what does my own prayer life look like and yeah am i coming before god daily on yeah. my own in whatever way i might choose to do that and it's encouraging people to do that and do the simple things and to share life and faith with each other for you guys that's pattern or uh, whatever variation of that you're working with at the moment and we do a similar thing here but it's just encouraging people just to, to build that altar in your heart but, but even before it's the practice it's the posture yeah and it's saying you know even if because we can practice the right things and you know <clears throat> have our hearts far from him as Jesus says, you know, to the, to the Pharisees. Um, so I think it's beginning just to say, Lord, I want, I want to learn the lessons in this moment. And even though it's deeply uncomfortable to me, as you've described, it's deeply uncomfortable to me as a pastor to feel, to feel disempowered, to feel powerless. And yet I do. Yeah. And I just have to recognize that and say, but Lord, you're in that. Yeah. And so just to, it's just that personal posture of saying, Lord, do whatever you will to do in me do it in this season so it's about devotion and surrender i think that's right um can i ask you the stuff that you were saying three months ago because i I do think the spirit was at work and sometimes god speaks to us something in the light that when we're in the dark it's harder to hold on to um and i i think there was wisdom that you were carrying and i've i've definitely preached it which is around and it really is around power and shifts of power of essentially this being an invitation into some sort of reformation. And yeah. I know that language sounds quite grand, mm. but you know, the last reformation in the middle ages was about the church losing power and suddenly grabbing onto this vision that goes back to scriptures of the priesthood of all believers. It's not about the institution. It's about, you know, the church, the saints being equipped to do the work of the kingdom. Just yeah. talk us through some of that, what you were sensing well, then. Well, first of all, I'm, I need to just qualify what I'm about to say by saying I'm no historian, <laughs> no, nor a scholar of the Reformation. But what I do see in that time, and I think others have said this far better than I'm about to, but where there are these moments of Reformation, there, there tends to be a redistribution. So um, whether it be, um, you know, the, I suppose that the Bible being... Um, you know, uh, produced in the lingua franca, you know, the ability of every person to read the scripture, which was a part of the Reformation, whether it was an emphasis on the priest of all believers, there was this democratization of Christianity. And you see the same thing happening in in the, the awakening in the United States, a great awakening. You see that this is a democratization of Christianity. Leaders in that particular Reformation, which is a Reformation moment of, of sorts, weren't necessarily the well-schooled people they were the people who um were just willing willing to make themselves available willing to allow the holy spirit to write whatever story he would want to write on their hearts and um and i think william seymour 
in terms of Pentecostalism, God taking not the educated, the powerful, wow. but someone that was available here. Well, and it's the same in Acts. And, you know, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, you know, 1 Corinthians, he says, you know, when you were called, not many of you were wise. Not many of you um, were schooled in rhetoric or whatever he says, you know, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the yeah. world to shame the strong, and the things which are not to bring to nothing things which are. And I think this is that upside down moment I was talking about. I think this is a moment where God wants to uh, shift things. I think it does have to do with power. And that's a Reformation moment. So it's about putting the church back in the hands of the people again, um, turning the church inside out, turning the church upside down. But why? I mean, it's ultimately for the sake of his glory and for the sake of the gospel. And for those of us with power, which is, I mean, all of us have power to a degree. No one is without any agency, without any power. But there are those of us who have a disproportionate amount of power. And, you know, you and I have power and we need to recognize where we have power. That will be at times an uncomfortable experience. Um, But in the midst of it, I suppose we've got to allow ourselves to be open to that as God, as God seeks to empower those who have been disempowered but i think we have to be clear not everything that happens in a reformation moment is good <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, for, example, for example we can look at the sort of catholic protestant reformation moment yeah i mean one thing that happens in that is that okay the the, the power of the pope you could say the pope is disempowered and um, as some people have observed everyone then becomes a pope <laughs> which isn't necessarily a good thing always and so, um, you know, we're all therefore um, open to abuses of power. And so not that everything that's going to happen in this moment is necessarily going to be good. Uh, but there is something God wants to do. The message has to get out, yeah. um, the message of the gospel. And God, yeah. I think, does want to do that in fresh ways. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that I'm experiencing. And maybe the church is being invited into just a reminder of the power that's present in the gospel. Like, where am I finding hope as I look around, you know, the city of London and different spheres? Like, I just don't feel much hope. And then, then every time I come into the presence of God and immerse myself in scripture, it's like, oh, here's where the hope is found. The hope is found in Jesus. Here's where the power is found. And it, it is a recognition that this is a time to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is where we find hope. Let's go to the final question. Go on. Well, just, just quickly on that. This is the thing. It's a different, so you've said it, but it's not, it's a different kind of power that's made available. And it's the kind of power that's made available in weakness. But it's not the, it's not like God's trying to take away worldly power from a certain group of people to give worldly power to another group yes. of people. Yes. Trying to empower the disempowered with a different kind of power. And it's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's what, you know, we see this in Luke and Jesus' manifesto in Luke chapter 4. It's, it's the fact that Jesus wants to do something amongst the disempowered that is a different kind of power yeah. and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Yeah, yes and amen. Love that. Final question then. Let's get, let's get personal. Um, yeah, just where are you, what are you learning about yourself and where are you having to sort of like be disciplined about allowing this moment to be formational for the sake of the kingdom um, in this moment? Well, I sort of said, you know, in the sort of external, I mean, I would say, as I said, it began with lots of words um, and now it's lots of woe. (laughs) And honestly, to a degree, I'd say that's been mapped in my prayer life. I just early on in this probably felt a huge amount of hope or optimism. Maybe it wasn't hope, maybe it was optimism. 
and even in my prayer life, there's a load of journaling, a load of processing and lots of stuff coming up. And as the, as the process of, of lockdown and, and everything's proceeded, I've just found myself with fewer words, yeah. um, fewer things to say with, to God, um, a greater simplicity maybe in my prayer life. And honestly, in the last two weeks, I've, I've spent more and more time just um, in choir. And I think <clears throat> two particular images have been really helpful to me. I, I stole one from my dad's study. <laughs> knows but you know that Re- a, a little sort of depiction of rembrandt's prodigal son yeah um and just been sitting with that and and um and as i as i was i've been sitting with that i read a sermon that um eugene peterson gave years ago uh in one of in his books king in his book kingfisher's uh, catch fire about um, just friendship with god mm. and so really my my sort of posture and my um, what I feel God's trying to speak to me at the moment and the way that I'm praying is a lot more about the simplicity of, of an availability of friendship with God. Wow. And the fact that Jesus is inviting me into an experience of friendship. And honestly, it's very foreign to me. It's very alien because I think I've spent so much of my life trying to do things for God and mm-hmm. perform for God. And you and I have spoken about this and I'm quoting you here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how often I've tried to perform to be loved yeah. rather than because I'm loved, which I think is, is a direct Pete Hughes quote. <laughs> that, that's, that's in all of us. I mean, it's certainly in every Hughes. Yeah. I think it's in every person to a degree. And then another image, a, a friend, uh, the old, uh, an archdeacon who was the archdeacon here in Nottingham is now a bishop. She just sent me this image yesterday, which I, I'll show you. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Um, but it's just an image of uh, somebody, I suppose it's Peter, having his feet washed by Jesus. And you can see the reflection of Jesus' face in the bowl. And it's an image, I was just reflecting on this this morning. And here's Peter with his hand on Jesus and his hand up. And I was imagining myself just in prayer this morning. I don't know if the hand is up in praise, but to some degree I felt like as I was praying, it's the hand up in the almost wanting to stop Jesus. Yeah. yeah Peter says, don't, don't wash my feet. Yeah. And I just feel like in some way um, what this looks like for me at the moment is just allowing God, even though I don't feel like I want to, mm. uh, because I feel unworthy and I feel mm. dirty and I feel unclean and unable and, and mm. weak, just allowing him to wash and to cleanse me. Mm. Um, that's, I think, more of what's going on for me in prayer wow. now. Um, yeah, a bit, a bit simpler, maybe a bit quieter. Yeah, I love that. And that's a beautifully profound end, you know, place to start, you know, of, of being invited into friendship and knowing that Jesus is the kind of friend who washes our feet, bandages our wounds and loves us back to life. Johnny, you are an inspiration and you are a prophetic figure that I listen to very carefully. Thank you so much for joining us and God bless. With a pleasure.